Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Friday, November 13th of 2020. We have made it, hallelujah, to the end of this week. We began on Monday, and uh, God has taken us through the Word. And we want to welcome all our listeners that are tuning in from wherever you're tuning in from. We're so glad that you can spend this time with us um, and, and be able to uh, to study the Word of God and fellowship with us in the Word. And uh, as always, we consider it an honor. We are getting ready. Yesterday, uh, it was a blessing. Uh, the Holy Spirit kind of took this uh, <laughs> the study in the way he wanted it, and, and I know that it blessed many people, and it blessed many of us and many of those that are hearing. And we pray that today, I know God has something fresh today for us, so let's get ready. Let's study the Word of God. This is why we're here. And so today joining us in our panel is uh, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando. And as always, it is a pleasure and an, honor to, and an honor to be able to study the Word of God together. So Brother Marty, we'll leave it to you uh, as we intend. We uh, intend to finish <laughs> this series, but we'll see where it's going to take us today. But we're excited on this Friday, so I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We've come to the end of the week, as Brother Jeremy said. We've been exploring in the book of Revelation, and we have now come to uh, to this point in, in what we've been teaching, and uh, we pray that it will be an encouragement to you. We're going to uh, to present to you today some things that that will open up, we pray, understanding for what, what it is that we're experiencing right now, and as we get into it, uh, we pray that, uh, that the Lord opens our our heart, our eyes to see, our, our heart to receive, our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us in this hour. That is what we need, direction by the Spirit and guidance. And so you're going to hear some things today, I think, that will bear witness with your heart as we go along. And uh, and so we ask you to, to really focus and to really... Uh, uh, pray and ask the Lord if these things be true. So as we get ready to go into our study, we ask the Lord's blessing, and I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he would uh, read our scriptures from Revelation chapter 13, uh, beginning with verse 1 through 4, and uh, and let's see what the Lord will do in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy. Amen. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Incredible. Uh... Verse 3 says, and all the world wondered after the beast. 
we're going to be uh, focusing on our study today, uh, both on the beast and the dragon. We're going to take it from a different perspective today, and you're going to hear some things that might challenge your your understanding of biblical prophecy, but we're going to lay forth a prophetic case for why we believe what we believe. We've come to these things that we're going to share with you, not, uh, you know, overnight, but uh, after really uh, prayerfully and humbly uh, seeking the Lord and, and asking for some insight. And so we're not completely dogmatic about what we're about to share, but we think uh, it'll do <laughs> for now. So let's get into this. You know, it's it's been about 10 days now since since the United States election. And and our country stands on the brink of of the greatest danger that it's seen since since it fought to become a nation really all the way back to the revolutionary war, I think. And and if you think that's too dramatic a statement, you I don't mean to be cruel, but you simply have not been paying attention. <laughs> And sadly, frankly, uh, you know, uh, most of the church hasn't and finds itself asleep. But God has his people, and and his people are hungering uh, to hear his voice. And and, and uh, that is what we endeavor to do collectively with our audience, our brothers and sisters out there, and, and my brothers every day, is to come together as, as, a, as an unseen group of people who are seeking the Lord. And so... It's with that in mind that we that we go into our study today. You know what we are witnessing really is, is an attempted, uh, full and comprehensive takedown uh, of the American Republic, of the nation as we know it. And while we could explore really different a whole bunch of different directions with that kind of a statement, um, as to you know the why of all this, it is our custom, however, that that we choose to focus at these things from the perspective of the Word of God in order to be guided and directed and to be informed as the community of the church. So today we're uh, we're going to lay out our cards on the table, as it were. We're going to present to you our, our prophetic thesis, like I said, as to, as to uh, what we believe is really happening. We believe that we have insight and profound and startling and a startling view really of, of of the global events that began in January of 2020 and what we are seeing transpire in our times um, is is quite possibly uh, prophetic and so it's with that in mind that we go deeper and, and, and we're going to lay a case before you and so let us look as we get into this uh, and pray that the Lord would open our eyes as you read, Brother Jeremy, in Revelation 13, 1 through 4, I want to start first by by exploring, and we're going to lay a little foundation here, so be with us, stay with us today. This, is Bible, this isn't Bible Study 101, so pay attention. You know, what what we want to explore is, is what we already know and what we have uh, had revealed to us. By the time we get to Revelation 13, 1 through 4, uh, what we know is that there's been a war in heaven. It's presented to us in that way in chapter 12. And and it's in that chapter that the dragon uh, is revealed. Uh, can you read that in Revelation uh, 12, 3, Brother Jeremy? Yes. It says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, 
And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. So we see a dragon introduced here in Revelation chapter 12. And John is witnessing uh, this war that begins to take place uh, in Revelation 12. And we, you know, we don't have the time, or, and this isn't really the format to go into each and every verse of this. We, we encourage you to go back to uh, to uh, similar teachings that we did earlier in the summer uh, to, that covers this in, at more at length. But I want to just point out here, we're focusing on this great red dragon. And when we see him, we see him in heaven having seven heads and ten horns. Now, what we know is that there is a war that takes place, and the result of the war is that uh, the dragon uh, is cast out uh, into the earth. So his position in heaven uh, is removed from him. He he dwells in, in, in those dimensions of the heavens, but as a result of this war, uh, he is he is systematically removed dimension by dimension uh, from access to those places and and particularly as it as it pertains to the end of time because what we see unfolding in the book of revelation is an explanation of the things that are uh the and the things that are yet to be that's how it's presented to john and with that in mind, that's why when we first see in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters, we see the Lord revealing the existing churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor, right? Ephesus, Sardis, Thyatira, go down the list all the way to Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis, I think I said Sardis mm-hmm. already, uh, <clears throat> Pergamus, you know, these different churches uh, that, that evolved into a seven-branched church. And and so that was the things that 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 were you know, in John's day. But then in Revelation chapter four, he's taken into the future. And he's 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 from that point on beginning to have revealed to him unfolding church history throughout the ages, ultimately culminating uh in in the end times and and the outpouring of the wrath of God. And so when we get to chapter twelve, what we see is that the dragon is introduced and the war is described that takes place between him uh, and and Michael, the archangel. Could you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, in Revelation 12, 7 through 9, please? Yes. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So there we see, right, the dragon that has its appearance in Revelation 12, 3, uh, and, and is revealed as, as a dragon with seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his head. We then transition as we go through the chapter, and we begin to see that what's revealed is there's a what John witnesses uh, is a great war, uh, which is incredible to me when you think about that. You have Michael the archangel and the angels, uh, his angels or his army fighting against the dragon and his angels. And, and we don't, we're not going to spend time on that, but just a fascinating thought, you know, when you meditate on these kinds of things, you're talking about warfare at an incredibly high level. 
um, that is beyond human comprehension, really. I mean, we, we see the devastating effects of technology in our time and the kind of armies uh, and power that those armies possess on the face of the earth. Imagine uh, the level of warfare that we're talking about here. And really what, what is being contested here is the legal right of the ownership of all things which has been transferred to the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of his victory over, over the old dragon on Calvary and his ultimate declaration of the validity of that victory when the Holy Spirit declared him to be the Son of God, rising him from the dead on the third day as he emerged through the resurrection to become the heir of all things and he's seated at the right hand of the power on high. He's seated at the right hand of his Father. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he dispatches Michael, it appears, in Revelation chapter 12, and the heavenly host of the angelic armies to begin a systematic removal of the infiltration of the devil and his angels throughout all the multiple dimensions that seem to exist within, uh, you know, within, the, within the framework of all created places. Uh, the Bible describes them as principalities and powers and dominions uh, that are both seen and unseen. And so this war is really a, uh, a kicking out of the devil uh, over time. And and mm-hmm. and as as these you know as time has evolved, what the Book of Revelation in, in in chapter twelve reveals to us is that he's removed, and ultimately it comes down to the point where he's finally cast out of every level of the heavens, and and that leaves him with only one place of influence. And and it produces with him an understanding that he has come up underneath. Uh, a, a click uh, or a, a ticking clock, if you will. That's why he goes on to talk to him in, or, or reveal to us in Revelation 12. Are you there? Yes. Can you read that to us, please? Revelation 12, 12. Yes. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So then at this point, our attention is drawn to something very interesting. It's as if the the devil himself, that old dragon, comes to the realization that he's now been confined to 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 a defined period of time, which is very interesting. Uh, because in many ways, these these beings, these creatures, uh, they are not subject to time. They live in a in a, in, in a different realm uh, than we do. Uh, and it's interesting in verse twelve. After he's cast out of the heaven, uh, you know, John records and hears hears them declaring, uh, "Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, plural, and ye that dwell in them." That's an interesting idea, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that that's re- right? That's mm-hmm. revealing to us that there are multiple heavens and 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 it's a biblical word basically to describe places of existence that seem to stand outside of time as we know it. But there's multiple places of existence and it also implies by that rejoicing, right? Because it tells them to rejoice. Um, that 
that the devil has not only been troubling humanity, of course, you know, that's his focus, but uh, because humanity is intended and has uh, and was created in the image of God. And and ultimately, the church itself will become, uh, will reflect the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he hates us. But it also seems that, that throughout the ages, he has been troubling the other places. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Because otherwise they wouldn't be rejoicing, you know, the other places of, of wherever that is. It's it's just simply called the heavens. And, and once he's kicked out, which we believe has happened, and we're going to show you why, but we believe that's already happened. And, and, and I think that it happened if you go all the way back to to the time that the Bible describes as when, when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, and then he said it is finished. And what we're told by the scriptures is that he went into the lower parts of the earth and he led captivity captive. And then he ascended throughout the multiple heavens. And the Bible says he, along the way, that he threw off principalities and powers. And that he made an open display of them. And when you go over to the Psalms, you read things that are saying, you know, that, that indicate that as he went through the multiple heavens, that it was being de- decreed, right, lift up. Uh, you heads, oh, you everlasting gates, you know, and open the gates and open the doors and the king of glory shall come in. That's what it was talking about. Those of you that are familiar with those songs is that it was describing what was taking place as the Lord himself ascended after his great victory and threw off principalities and powers. Once he arrives, he now lays claim to every aspect of of the Father's uh, creation and all that is. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He then dispatches Michael and the angels and begins to lay claim on a legal basis to the territory uh, that was purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb. And so he begins to clean out, if you will, those places, as the Bible describes them as heavens, principalities, powers, dominions, governments, whatever you want to call them, it's listed in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, I believe, where he then begins to systematically remove the dragon and his angels. And so once that that portion is cleared out, it it comes down to the planet Earth. It is where he will finally and utterly be destroyed. And that is why the heavens are rejoicing in verse 12. So, I believe that what we witnessed from the time of of, of Calvary and and the Lord's passion uh, and suffering and then subsequent resurrection on the third day, then his ascension after that, leading captivity captive, everything that's been unfolding since then has been the last 2,000 years of human history. And so in essence, what we have been witnessing is the devil being removed in that interim period as the church has grown, so forth and so on, over the last 2,000 years. But what then is being identified here is that a specific time in the future would be the result of it. Ultimately, he would be cast down to the earth, and he comes down in verse 12, and he knows something. He has suddenly been subject to a to a limitation, and he knows it. And so he, he comes down with great wrath, and those that exist within the dimension of the earth and the sea are then uh, warned in that specific time when it finally comes to the time where his 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 uh, his days are numbered so to speak and he seems to to perceive it 
in a very uh, interesting way, it's revealed to us that he has he comes to kind of like a revelation of it, because verse thirteen says what, brother Jeremy? Says, and when the dragon saw that he was cast out unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which was brought forth, the man child. He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. He, he then turns his attention towards Israel. This is a defining time period, <clears throat> which is very interesting. And we don't have time to get into it, but I think it seems to imply that, that the actual uh, casting down of the devil into the earth realm uh, can, can, can be defined as, as when we see a woman, which represents Israel, persecuted. And, and I think it's quite possible, and again, we're talking about a prophetic thesis here, so, uh, and we're laying a little bit of groundwork here, but <clears throat> it, it appears that this could almost be um, placed within the, the confines of an understanding of how, when the 20th century began, we began to see, uh, you know, an enormous persecution of, of, of Israel begin to take place as we see the, the Jewish people of Europe and around the world, suffered tremendous persecution uh, in World War II, culminating in the ovens and, and, and the concentration camps of Hitler during World War II, the dragon indeed began to persecute the woman. Why? One of the reasons we know prophetically is that is that what he is attempting to do is to thwart or to prevent the fulfillment of the established word of God as revealed through the holy prophets and the holy apostles. And so we see a strategy of the enemy and his attempt to thwart the word of God, because in so doing, he would break the word of God. But we know that God's word can't be broken. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, right? So, But it doesn't mean that he won't try it. He, he's deceived himself, right? He thinks he's, he's all that, so to speak. I'm not, I'm not mocking him in any way. I'm just simply saying... He, he will attempt to overthrow God any way he can. Remember when the Lord prayed, uh, you know, at, at the Last Supper and, and he prayed to the Father, I think it's in, in John chapter 17. He says something really interesting there in referencing his apostles and disciples. He says, I have kept all those that you gave unto me uh, through thy name, right, through thy power, through thy, through thy name. And, and he said this, he said, except for the son of perdition, and then he says this, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Mm. So there's a very, very profound uh, thought there that the Lord reveals. That the scriptures themselves play a key point in bringing about all these things. And we ain't got time to get into that, but if you just go in your own studies and, and think about the recorded word itself, the writing out of the word, even God's finger itself, his, his self, writing the Ten Commandments on stone, for example. Things must be written. Things must be recorded. The Scripture must be fulfilled. It's that that he challenges, and it's that that he attempts to break. And so by persecuting the woman, which represents Israel, he attempts to eradicate her from the, from the face of the earth, and in so doing, the Word of God would not be fulfilled. It is his last play. So that's what he does, and I think that that occurred as we entered into the 20th century. And and so it's quite conceivable that the short time that's being referenced here in Revelation chapter 12 might indeed have begun with the uh, with the inception 
uh, of the 20th century. And now we're well into the 21st century seeing something new. So we'll, we don't we don't have time to go on to the to the woman with the great eagle and all that because that's not the focus of what we're looking at today. But I'm laying those things to to set the framework for how he has come down into the earth. Once that is thwarted, uh, in verse 16 it says that the earth helped the woman, opening her mouth and swallowed up a flood. A flood issued from the dragon. That flood can be interpreted in many ways. It could be the you know the propaganda that issued from the mouth <laughs> uh, of, of of that despot Hitler that went after them, and all those Nazi fascists of, of Germany. You know the earth opening up and swallowing her. Uh, the water, in many ways, could be, and just for the purposes of our study, in some ways, might also have been fulfilled when the world itself uh, on May the twelfth. 1948 voted in the United Nations Security Council to establish a homeland for the Jewish people. In a sense, the earth helped and the world helped establish the nation and protect the woman. Once that happens, he then turns his attention in verse 17 to something very interesting. Can you can you read verse 17, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And the dragon was rocked with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it's possible that what we're witnessing here is a, is a defining of two particular uh, categories, those that keep the commandments, those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It could be representative of Israel and the church, which is made up of both Jew and Gentile, or it could just simply be the church itself. Either way, it is a focus of the enemy to then try to destroy the church, try to destroy those uh, that are God's people upon the earth. Again, we are told that God uh, protects his church and protects his people. And so he, he in, again, he's being driven in an attempt to, to destroy the people of God. Now, that is where Revelation twelve seventeen concludes, and then it opens up in Revelation 13, one. Read thirteen one to us, Brother Jeremy. And I Please. stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now it's of interest to note what we are left with after chapter twelve concludes in verse seventeen is the declaration that the dragon which we know is the devil, uh, that old devil. Uh, we'll read to us verse 9, would you, Brother Jeremy, again? Because that's how he's identified. And the, great, and, the, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we know that the dragon is Satan himself. So what we see in verse 17 is that uh, having failed in his attempt to destroy the woman, he now turns his attention toward going after her seed, the remnant of her seed. Her seed is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, which was revealed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he said that the seed of the woman would, would, would crush the head of the serpent. So he turns his attention towards this, her seeds remnant. 
a remnant in the earth at this time. And and then it says he goes to make war with them. So when we get to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, what we are witnessing is the dragon's uh, attempt, or I should say the dragon's strategy of how he's going to make war with with the church and with Israel. And how he does that is, is Revelation chapter 13, 1, which is what Brother Jeremy just read. Now, there's a couple things that we know here. What Revelation chapter 13, 1 reveals to us, and again, I'm laying a foundation to get to where we're headed, which is going to be an explanation for what we believe is happening right now before our eyes. I believe that the United States election has a great part to play in this. And, and and what is happening right now, what we are witnessing. So 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 bear with us as we go through this, because it'll have a great weight of of <laughs> a stunning realization that we quite possibly are witnessing this now. Listen, so when he goes to make war, understand it from the perspective of of almost like a camera lens, you know, uh, withdrawing itself so that you can have a big overview. You have to understand it from the perspective of the overview. You can't look specifically at tiny little details and miss the big picture here. So we're looking at big picture things. He goes to make war. But what happens is is what we see revealed in Revelation chapter 13 is how he goes to make war. And so that is what we're seeing when we get to, to verse 1. What we see in verse 1 is that there there is now a beast rising up out of the sea. So what this tells us is that there's an obvious interim between Revelation 12 verse 17 and Revelation 13 verse 1. There's a, there's a space of time there. Now, let's look at it from this perspective. I want to show you something interesting here. Uh can you read verse uh verse chapter 12 verse 3 to us again, brother Jeremy? And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Okay, so now look at what happens in verse 13. I mean, chapter 13, verse 1. Read that to us, Brother Jeremy. 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. Something seems to uh, to have happened here, and and we're going to look at that in in a, in a second here. But I want to point something out to you. We see the dragon uh, in heaven. In Revelation 12:3, he's described as having seven heads and horns, seven crowns on his head. We've already gone through the discussion of how he was kicked out of heaven, ultimately turning his attention and focus in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, to now go and attempt to make war with the church of, of the living God, with the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. How he does that, is then revealed to us in Revelation 13.1. But notice there seems to be a 
relinquishing of of power. You know, what we are examining is, is the mode of attack of the dragon and his strategy uh, to remove God's church. But something interesting occurs there, and I don't know if you catch it, but you see, you see the old dragon in the heavenly realm, and he's carrying with him the seven heads, the ten horns, the seven crowns, right? But once he's cast to the earth, that is his spiritual influence and his demonic power. Once he's cast to the earth, when he then turns his attention in Revelation twelve seventeen to go and make war uh, with the church, with the, those that have the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, it then manifests itself as a beast rising up out of the sea. Only this time, it appears that something has happened because the dragon appears to have, uh, how, how do you say it? Uh, he is no longer represented as having seven heads and and, and uh, ten, ten horns and seven crowns on his head. That seems to have been deposited and given over to this other creature called the beast because now he's the one that has seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns upon his head. Do you see that? So, okay now. <laughs> this isn't baby food now, so use your molars on this one, right? So what, <laughs> what we see here and what <laughs> is something very interesting. How do you know this, Brother Marty? Well, we know there's an interim period between Revelation 12, verse 17, and Revelation 13, verse 1, because all of a sudden the beast is introduced. And we have established over the last couple of podcasts that the beast and the dragon are two separate entities. And and we know that from Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, where where we see that a, that a star falls from heaven, which is the devil, which is described here in Revelation 12, and he's given a key to the bottomless pit. He opens that pit, and the beast from the bottomless pit, who in Hebrew is called Abaddon, and in Greek is called Apollyon, he comes up out of the pit. It's two separate and distinct personalities. The devil himself is greater than him, but he loses him. It's part of his strategy, and that strategy is, is to use him and his influence in order to bring about his satanic will, which is another attempt to throw a wrench in, in the in the finely tuned gears of, of heaven's will, so to speak. You cannot have a beast rising from the sea until he is first released. And so we know by by verse 1, this beast is rising up out of the sea. He's been released by the devil himself. And it seems that he then gives to him or transfers to him, uh, it, it's like a transference of the embodied wicked spiritual darkness and power. It seems to have been released to the beast and has now come into the world because it is now the beast that's described as having seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns upon his head. Whereas in the heavenly realm, before this event of Revelation 13:1, it's the devil who has the seven heads, the ten horns, and the seven crowns. There's something very interesting here as well. If you notice something in verse 3, can you read 12.3 again to us, Brother Jeremy? 
like this. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. It's not until he transfers this authority. Now, remember what we've taught you in the past. The seven heads represent uh, seven individual global empires, all the way back to the time of Nimrod. You can name them out the way you want, but you could say that Nimrod's kingdom was the first. Uh, then came the, the, the kingdom of the pharaohs, right, the Egyptian empire. Then came uh, the Assyrian empire. Then came the Babylonian empire. Then came uh, the, uh, the, the Medes and the Persians. Then came the Greek empire. And then the final empire that emerged as the worst of all the empires was the Roman empire. That is what these seven heads represent. What's interesting in verse 3 is we see that, that resting upon these, these seven heads is, 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 is ten horns. Revelation 12, 3. As it's revealed in the, in the imagery of the dragon. But notice that upon the ten horns in the heavenly realm, there's only seven crowns. But when we get to Revelation 13:1, the seven heads are now transferred over to the beast, or the authority of all seven is transferred over to the beast. The ten horns are revealed. But now it says that all ten horns have crowns. Whereas in the heavenly realm, there was ten horns resting on the seven heads, but only seven crowns. It's not until the transference of power is given to the beast that the remaining three horns are crowned as well. But it's not until the end of time. And this is a clue. Do you see that, brothers? Yes. All right. What do you think that is? Don't jump in all at once now. <laughs> we'll talk about it here in a second. I'm just, I'm just wondering. How Are you talking about the seven, the seven uh, heads? Well, not the seven heads, but notice in verse the, three, the seven heads have ten horns, right? Ten but horns, in the heavenly, right. right? But in the heavenly realm, those ten horns are only crowned with seven crowns. Once it comes down into the and the transference of all that energy of the global empire state. All ten horns are crowned, not just seven of them. In the heavenlies, there's seven crowns, but once it comes into the earth, there's ten crowns. Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah, I see that. All right. So what this reveals to us is, is, that, is that the prior attempts of the seven empires uh, will, will have added to them an authority, but not until the end of time. Three additional crowns will be given to it. And we ain't got time to get into all that, but I'm just showing you the interesting transference of power and what's being revealed to us. We're talking about the dragon today and his influence upon the beast and who this is and why it has relevance to our time. And I don't want to go so far. I'm, I mean, that's why we're limited in these podcasts, brothers and sisters, because 
if we were sitting in a living room right now, <laughs> all in a circle or something, we could actually go through this in an incredible way. But we want to get to our point today. I just want to point out some very interesting things that are intriguing and, and worthy of our of our of our contemplation, which we hope we inspire you to do on your own time. But at another time we'll talk about the three crowns because they connect to Daniel and his prophecies, but we'll see at another time. But I'm just pointing that out to you. Now check this out. So what we are seeing then is that there's a transference of the embodied wicked spiritual darkness and power that seems to have been relinquished to the beast. This is how he's going to do it. This is how the devil's going to do it. And he's already begun to do it. And he's already done it, really. And we'll see that here in a second. But but he does it by loosing the beast from the bottomless pit. Again, Revelation chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. We know that the beast from the bottomless pit is the one that will ultimately take shape and become the Antichrist, Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. But until then, he is exercising spiritual influence upon a fallen humanity. That's what he sets out to do, and that is revealed to us and described to us, very symbolically so, as the beast that rises up out of the sea. This is how he begins to take shape. Now, note... And you need to listen to the rest of the podcast, those of you who just joined us, to catch up to speed. But note, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. Can you read Re- Revelation 12, 3 to us, Brother Jeremy? And, he, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. All right. So, so what we're going to see here is this. It is now the beast that rises up out of the sea that becomes the embodiment of the seven heads, the ten horns, and the ten crowns upon his head. He's allowed to move through the sea. And as we've told you this before, the sea, as the Bible describes it to us, represents people's languages, nations. And and we have told you before, as I just pointed out to you, that the seven heads represent the, the spirit of all the global empires of of that time, and 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 that those empires uh, attempted to rule and dominate the world. They were never able to do it. They ruled the known world of that day, but to to, to speak of an absolute planetary wide control, that's never been realized. And it's almost as if when the devil goes to make war in the final time which is what we believe we are right now, he's represented as the dragon, and he seems to, by releasing that that uh, beast from the bottomless pit, utilize him and then transfer to him uh, the all the power of all seven global empires uh, that have gone before him. So it is, it's almost as if, strategically speaking, the old dragon himself has learned that each attempt to institute a global empire that would enslave the whole world uh, uh, from the beginning of recorded human history up until the final day, that each and every attempt failed precisely because it was a a singular action by the enemy moving through particular kingdoms and kings and so forth and so on, global states. But it's as if once he's cast down to the planet and, and, and confined to this sphere or this 
space, this dimension within the, the universe itself, the earth being the central focus, that it's as if he has understood that he, you know, it's better to have all seven heads functioning as one super state, embodying and empowering uh, all of it in one single final attempt. So it's no longer single empires trying to take over the world. It's all seven of them coming together as one. And 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 without getting too far adrift here, the ten horns that rest upon them that will be crowned, the book of Revelation later reveals who they are. They seem to be particular uh, additional spirits of high authority, almost a council of dark satanic uh, dominion that that comes to assist the beast into becoming what he is. Because what's what's attempting to happen here is to is to bring the beast into a human form. We call him the Antichrist. That will actually be realized the final three and a half years of human history. We see that in Revelation 13:5, where it says that a mouth is given to the beast. But before that that manifestation of that wicked one, that son of perdition that Judas-like entity that gets fully possessed by the spirit of the devil, before he actually will take shape, much had to occur. We have seen that occur, and we are witnessing it now. It is how we know he is near, uh, and, and, we'll, and we'll continue to go on to that. But what we are witnessing is that the spirit of all the global empires will now, and at, at least in Revelation 13:1, it was now expressing itself through humanity. That's why it says in verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1, that it begins to rise out of the sea. This is process that we're looking at. So, it, so we understand from that that what John was revealing to us, and particularly to the people at the end of time, was that understand that when it manifests itself in that final generation, it will have been after the working of Satan. It will have been after a process of time. And, it, and the key figure or spiritual influencer first begins to manifest it as uh, in influencing humanity itself. But the reason that we pointed out uh, Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, where it says one of his heads is wounded, is because we're trying to identify uh, the specific, or at least our attention, as it was revealed to John, uh, is drawn towards a specific head on the seven-headed beast, right? So John sees in Revelation 13, uh, he notices when he begins to see it rising up out of the sea that one of the heads was wounded. Can you read that again to us, Brother Jeremy, in verse 3? Yes. And I saw one of his heads as they were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So what we have been taught in 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 uh in modern day twentieth century into the twenty first century um you know Bible prophecy interpretation over the years and particularly coming out of the pre tribulation camp is that when you read in Revelation three that one of his heads were as it wounded to death that what you're actually seeing is an assassination attempt that will be made on the Antichrist. Have you heard that before, brothers? 
Yes. Yeah, well, you, you, you hear that. Uh, you hear that all the time. Um, right. What pre- do they say? Pre-tribulational uh, teaching that the uh, the Antichrist will suffer some kind of death stroke, and uh, they liken that to uh, the wound being healed, right? Um, and uh, so forth and so on. Right. But 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 we believe that that's an incorrect interpretation, and here's why. This is not an assassination attempt. And and how do we know that? Because the Antichrist isn't given a mouth until the final three and a half years of human history. He doesn't become the Antichrist until then. And so if we take the flow of what John is showing us here, and and we take proper, you know, uh, exegesis on this, one of the heads represents one of the global empires. And so the wound isn't to an individual antichrist at this point. The wound that John saw uh, is is one that occurs to one of the heads or one of the global empires. See, <laughs> notice it, it's not until verse 5 of Revelation 13, 5, that there is given unto the beast, right, a mouth. That's when he becomes the Antichrist. That's when he becomes human. Until then, he is a spirit influencer of global empires. And John's attention is drawn to one of the heads. And what he's being told is at the end of time that that wounded head will be healed. It will be allowed to rise again in in, in many respects. And and, and we're going to look at something very interesting here in a second. But my point is this, is that the head can't be an assassination attempt. It blows pre-tribulation theology out the window because you don't even have an antichrist yet. He doesn't appear until verse 5. What you are actually seeing is what is being revealed and understand it from the perspective of when John was writing this. He was writing it at the time when the seventh head or the seventh global empire, which is which was more powerful than all the preceding empires up until that point, was the Roman Empire. And what he's being told is that when you see uh, at the end of time, John, what you're witnessing is at the end of time that when this seven-headed beast rises up out of the sea, your attention has to turn toward the wounded head because that's where the power is going to come from. It is why the world will wonder after it. Now, you guys can think about that who are listening and, and the Lord give you light. But the key to understanding the wood, the wounded head, it's found in where John sees uh, the seven-headed dragon at. And, and I think when we look at it, we'll see clues as to, because we're looking at this in a perspective, first and foremost, of geographical territory. We want to know where this thing is. And it's key to understanding what's happening right now. Now, I know I'm laying a lot of foundational things here, but it's necessary. Because we're not taking this, you know, we're not just throwing out something to you. You have to understand these things so that what we see happening right now will make sense to you. You'll understand what's happening. Listen. His attention is is drawn to a wounded head. So we want to know, where is this head? And what is he trying to tell us? 
because apparently it's going to be wherever this thing is located, there's going to be a healing take place and and a, and, and a reemergence of a global state again, only this time infused with all the authority and power of all the preceding global state empires before it, energized by the dragon. Now take a look. We have a clue in Revelation 17, verse 9. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. So the seven heads are seven mountains. And you have to understand what, what John is referring to there. Because when he was writing it, remember, again, it was the Roman Empire. And he further identifies where the seven heads are located. And we're talking, you know, symbolically here now, is the capital city of Rome. It is the city that is built on seven hills. It is the place of old Europe. It is, it is the Roman Empire. Now, that is what he sees. And so he's drawing our attention in verse 3 to a particular territory where the dragon is sitting and one of the heads, heads being healed or allowed to exist again. And, 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 and that general geographic uh, territory is the old Roman Empire and all that it controlled. But its capital city is Rome. And so this explains something to us. Remember that Rome uh, was a military and political power but how John sees it is wounded. What wounded Rome? Many scholars debate over this, but being the greatest empire that ever existed, it, it literally never went away. It just changed. But what changed it? Rome was wounded, in essence, by the early Christian church. That is why I think that when we read Revelation 13, uh, verse 14, can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? Revelation 13, 14. Yes. And deceived them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So the wound that came to the beast which we have now laid out the, 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 you know, the explanation that the beast that was wounded was the Roman Empire. It came to it by the sword or by a sword. We know from, from the book of Hebrews that the word of God is described as a, as a, as a sharp two-edged sword. And, and so these are very symbolic terms implying to us that the original wound that was inflicted upon the Roman Empire would come by way of the word of God which was manifested in the earth through Jesus Christ in his church. And that's exactly what happened to Rome. The wound was inflicted upon Rome by the church. Remember, Rome persecuted the church. Ultimately, it was defeated by the church. It morphed into what we call the Roman Catholic Church. Now, we don't have time to get into this today, but it is also why we see an additional beast rising up out of that same geographical territory in the end of time. 
and that's known as the false prophet. We believe that's the papacy, and it's one of the reasons we see such an active, almost resurrected-like importance of, of the papacy of Rome emerging in our time in connection with the UN global agenda and old Europe where they are proclaiming a global reset. <laughs> so go ahead and think about that for a while. But listen, Rome persecuted the church. Ultimately, like I said, it was defeated by the church. It received its wound by the sword, if you will. Now remember this. By these scriptures, the geographic territory of the beast and the seven-headed system is revealed. It's old Europe. It's it's European in origin and the other territories that the Roman Empire included uh, which would be Upper Asia Minor, including uh, Spain, Portugal, France, Germany, parts of Germany, even England itself. And then you go down into the territories of Egypt and Africa and those places. That was all the influences. And we don't have time to do a ge geopolitical study, but trust me, there's a lot emerging from these places of the world. Now listen, so we know the geographic territory. It, it, it We're being told it's the old... European Roman Empire geographic territory. It's the seven mountains that John identified in Revelation 7. Now consider, it is no accident that when the beast is allowed to inhabit the Antichrist body, I mean, just for a side note here, what does he do? What does he do, Brother Jeremy? What does the beast do once he becomes the Antichrist? He's allowed to take possession of a human vessel. He becomes the Antichrist. What's the first thing he does in verse 7? Says, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given over him, over all kindreds and tongues and nations. I find it fascinating that the first thing he does when he takes possession of this human body and becomes the Antichrist, uh, he goes to make war with the saints. Why? He does that precisely because it was the saints that wounded his head. See, he becomes the embodiment of, of all seven empires, but primarily that exceedingly fierce beast that Daniel talks about. It is the Roman Empire. So it's interesting that he he does, uh, he does a, an aggressive, ferocious attack against the saints. They were the ones responsible 2,000 years earlier for wounding him. And, and, and causing him to cease to exist. I know that's heavy, but think about it. The Lord give you light. Now, listen, having identified the geographic territory, and this might have to be a two-part thing for you guys. So, I mean, I'm not going to stop today until we finish. So, you know, if you need to pause and, and, and pick it up on Saturday morning, that's up to you. But we're giving you stuff to think about all week. And now, listen, having identified the geographic territory, what we have now is the key to further our understanding in what we are seeing in our times. Listen, let us return again to Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. All right, so we've identified the geographic territory of the beast and the seven-headed system as being the precise place that was once dominated by the old Roman Empire. So what we have to be looking for 
And what John was revealing to us was that in the far-flung future, what you're going to see is that old Roman Empire begin to emerge from Europe and from the places that it once dominated. You're going to see a push towards a desire to have a global agenda enacted upon the face of the earth. Now, how that's going to take shape is revealed in verse 2. It's in the shape of the leopard, the bear, and the lion. Old Rome begins to take shape in those three particular ways. The leopard, like we talked about, uh, represented the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, famous for its its ability to make war with incredible speed. So it really, if you want to put it in modern language, first begins to take shape as a construct of military precision and speed. In in modern terms, we could call it the, the police state, the surveillance state. The framework of it began to take shape as we, in earnest, as we crossed into the year 2000, we, we we are now there. The bear represents global law uh, and, 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 and the move towards international courts, UN agendas, all that. It represents the Medo-Persian Empire. And the lion is a spiritual component. You know, it like Nebuchadnezzar, it seeks to become uh, a megalomaniac, if you will. It's a spiritual component. It, de- it desires worship. And so these these types of, of characteristics begin to take shape. But notice what's interesting here. Uh, verse 2 again. Can you read verse 2 again, Brother Darren? Are you there? I'm sorry, I was on mute. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. All right, right, so let's check this out. Okay. Uh, Something's missing here. We see that these three components reach their their ability to, to be identified by John. We've identified the geographic territories. So what we're saying is that the end-time generation will, would have had to see uh, the rise of a global intent emanating from the old Roman Empire territory geographically. Once the three frameworks are in place, that is the capability for it to become what it wants to be again, which is globally dominant, it's interesting that it, it cannot happen. What has to happen is the dragon has to give it its power. The dragon has to give it its seat, and the dragon has to give it its authority. It seems to reach a particular zenith on its own, but then finds itself hindered in that it can't actually do what it wants to do yet. It requires the dragon. Hence, <laughs> for all you Bruce Lee fans out there, we could say it this way, enter the dragon, right? <laughs> the dragon enters the scene now. Uh, and we are told that the dragon will will be the one that gives the power to the beast. So just pause for a second. 
again, we're talking about geographic lo- locale. Understand it from that perspective so you can understand what's actually happening in our elections right now. Because it, 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 it matters. Listen. Brother, make no Brother Marty. Yes, go ahead. So as the framework is being uh, put in, uh, being laid right there of that old Roman Empire in verse 2, yet what's still missing is that a mouth still has not yet been given to it. Correct? Correct. Not until verse 5. Right. Into verse verse 5. Okay. Just, just, you know, uh, following again what you're saying, you know, what what happened. It might, but we know it has many mouths, right? And that is because right. it rises. It rises from the sea. Understand why I took all that time to identify a particular geographic territory. You know, the land. In other words, the the part of the the world uh, where where it emerges it is because it, we are being taught in verse one that that collective. Uh, manifestation uh, or that manifestation of, of the old Roman Empire manifesting at the end of time again has to be the desire of the peoples of the territory of the old Roman Empire. That's a Euro state. You understand what I'm saying? That's why he says it rises out of the sea. The sea we know are peoples, nations, tribes, tongues, right? But Right. But then John further identifies where those peoples, nations, and tongues are located by telling us in Revelation chapter 17, verse 9, that it's where the seven mountains were, which is old Rome. And so what we're being told is that that old Roman Empire, which encompasses all of Europe and other territories, parts of Africa, things like that, but primarily there where the seven hills are, the capital of all the global of all the Roman Empire, the global state of the first century, so to speak, um, it's it's that territory of old Europe where the people themselves. What we had to have seen was the people of that old geographical uh, territory of the old Roman Empire, which is modern day Europe, begin right. to to collectively over a process of time, move in a direction that allows the rise. Uh, and the agenda, if you will, of this beast from the bottomless pit that is attempting to become a global power again. And it reaches a particular success at its height, but something continues to prevent it from fully taking over. Enter the dragon. And we're going to talk about the dragon here in a second, because it, it will be the dragon and the beast collectively that finally make it possible for the whole world to be enslaved for a short period of time. What we learn by the dragon being interjected here in verse 2 is that even though we see the manifestation of the leopard, the bear, and the lion, a military police-like structure or construct, a global uh, intent of of international uh, law, and, and and a spiritual component thrown in, in in the representative of the lion, uh, all of it comes to a height, but yet it lacks the ability to implement its desire. Something's withholding it from being able to do that. We don't have time to get in it today, but we know that there is a component of a woman that rides this beast. We have 
we have identified in our own prophetic thesis that we believe that woman that rides the beast is is the missing uh, element that so many people have often wondered, where is the United States in Bible prophecy? When you read the book of Revelation, you're reading symbolic language, and you need to understand symbolism in order to understand it, that is, the prophecies given therein. They are precisely given to us in very symbolic language in order that it would remain mysterious except to the children of God. And we were told, like we've been laying out for many months now in Daniel, that the end-time understanding of these things are just that. They were relegated to a generation that would come up under the moniker of the end time. Not the last days, but the end of the end time, the final days upon the earth. And at that moment, it's those that are God's children that are seeking him and beginning to recognize the signs that will begin to be given to them by the Spirit of God, understanding of their time so that they know exactly what's going on. I emphasize the woman that rides the beast as quite possibly being the United States of America for many reasons, which we won't get into today, but we've talked about it before. It says that the beast hates her, but but she rides the beast. And in essence, that's exactly what the United States has done coming out of World War II. It became the dominant power. As a matter of fact, the United Nations itself and its headquarters was moved to New York City, Manhattan. All the world has to come up underneath the control of the United States coming out of World War II. And the zenith of her power, she in essence enacts her policy and will. And she is the largest consumer nation on the planet, which are identifying marks of this woman that rides the beast. The beast, on the other hand, we're described in the book of Revelation, begins to take shape. Coming out of a World War-like situation, World War II, Europe had to be rebuilt. It was devastated by war. Enter the woman or the United States, Lady Liberty, if you will. She comes over there and she rebuilds it. But she's not, you know, pure of heart. She, she tries to replicate herself in all those old territories. Over time, she becomes envied and hated, yet she's used like a prostitute. That's why she's described as the whore of Babylon. She, <laughs> she sucks up all the good. That's what she wants. But yet she infects the world with the wine of her fornication, the Bible calls it. She actually makes the world drunk. With, with her with her propaganda, if you will. And we don't got time to get into all that, only to be told that a resentment has built up over generations against her. But they hate her, but they can't do anything about her because she's a key component to their economic survival. But enter the dragon, another power, one who has relinquished the power of the seven-headed empire world global states which were attempted throughout history. He gives it to another power in order to, to affect an end to a means. So he allows the geographic territory of the old Roman Empire to rise again in the last days. And it's healed. The wound was suffered by the sword was just that. It was the word of God that caused it to diminish that old Roman Empire. 
But the strategy re-evolves and emerges in the end of time by the dragon himself in that he relinquishes it and gives it to that being that rises up out of the bottomless pit. We call him Apollyon or Abaddon in the Hebrew. Revelation 9, 1 and 2, Revelation 9, 11, Revelation 11, 7 describes him. He is an influencing high potentate of the demonic council of Satan himself. He's very mysterious, but yet it's revealed here. And subsequently, he becomes an agent. We were talking to him in many, about him in many ways as being the son of the devil, if you can view it in that way. He's, he's part of an unholy trinity. He is the word that will seek to take shape, and it's ultimately going to begin given to him. That is the satanic word, the son of Satan. He will become flesh. He will become the Antichrist. But not until this process of time had to take place to where there would be a revived Roman state infused with all the other global empires. And that's what we see. And the geographic lo location was identified in Revelation 17.9 as the seven mountains, so that we would know that what would emerge in the end of time is from the same geographic location, which was once the super state or the uh, capital city of the super state of their time, which was the Roman Empire, emerging again in the end of time from the geographic lo location and having a hatred for this woman that's described that dominates it. Ultimately, that woman will be burned with fire, the Bible tells us, as a result of her great apostasy and whoredom. She looks like a Christian. She's clothed in all the garbs of the church, scarlet, red, blue, gold. All those things are symbolic of a pseudo-backslidden Christianity that has morphed itself into a, a whore-like state. And ultimately, the beast is unleashed and burns her with fire. That can only be done by permission of the dragon, who then gives it the necessary final push to become what the dragon wants it to become. Remember, even though the beast is allowed to do all this, make no mistake about it, Satan doesn't share power with anybody. He's even using the beast. We'll talk about that on another day. But if, as we have seen, the beast is influencing nations and people in the old Roman uh, territory, it is possible, then, that we need to understand the dragon as expressing his will through a people as well. See, John took great pains to draw our attention, or that is, you know, the revelation given to John, took great pains to draw our attention to a geographic lo location so we would know that the global superstate would begin to take shape coming out of old Europe but that something would prevent it from really becoming what it wanted to become, that's the United States. It's always stood in its way. So there has to be assistance given to it. And that's what's revealed in verse 2, the dragon. Enter the dragon. Now, it is possible then that we have to understand the dragon as expressing his will as well. Just as the beast caused a collective humanity in old Europe to rise up and desire that glory that it once knew 2,000 years ago under the Roman Empire, so the dragon appears to be, uh, uh, you know, in order for him to express his will in the earth at this end time, he's got to have a territory and the people that he does it through quite possibly as well. But who are they? 
remember this, and we got to grow up to understand this stuff, man. Just as the Lord God inhabits his church through the Holy Spirit, as we have read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that the, I feel his presence, man. <laughs> praise, praise you, Lord. That it is the desire of the Lord that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known by the church and that he expresses that through his church. The Holy Spirit inhabits his church. Humanity is a vessel in many ways. It is either going to be inhabited by the Spirit of God or it will be inhabited by the Spirit of the wicked one and his hordes. And that is what we're talking about. The collective rising of this, this return to a superstate is initiated out of the geographic location of Europe and the known world. Remember, at one particular time, there was one territory that was not known. It's the most mysterious of all territories. And in fact, it is the oldest civilization on the planet. And with that sort of understanding in mind, the dragon inhabits his people and the beast inhabits his people. The beast inhabiting his people is the old Roman Empire territory. And in the context of Revelation 13, it appears that the beast takes possession of the peoples of the old Roman territory and the dragon takes possession of another people. Who or where might that people be? Brothers and sisters, I want to, I'm just going to say it now. We've come this far. We're an hour into this. Uh, that That is China. And I'm going to show you something. Let me read something to you. Because we're looking for the dragon. And we know that it requires the dragon to give power to that old Roman Empire. Now, for those of you that are familiar with current events, it doesn't go without notice. China is the oldest civilization on the face of the earth. And I just want to read you something, because we're looking for a dragon, right? So listen to this. Uh, during the days of imperial China, uh, the emperor of China used the dragon as a symbol of his imperial strength and power. I'm reading to you from uh, Chinese history here. In Chinese culture, excellent and outstanding people are compared to a dragon. While incapable people with no achievements are compared to other <laughs> less esteemed creatures, they say. A number of Chinese proverbs and idioms, they feature references to a dragon. And Chinese culture always hopes that one's child will become a dragon. Listen to this. These are some affiliated names with the nation state of China. Uh, and, and they include Dragon God or House of the Dragon. That is what China is known as in its own culture. Now listen, historically, the Chinese dragon was associated with the emperor of China. 
and used as a symbol to represent imperial power. So here we have identifying marks that the oldest civilization on the planet takes as its symbol the dragon. The founder of the Han Dynasty, Liu Bang, he claimed that he was conceived after his mother dreamt of a dragon. And during the Tang Dynasty, emperors wore robes with dragon motifs as an imperial symbol. And high officials might also be presented with dragon robes. In the Wan Dynasty, the two-horned, five-clawed dragon was designated uh, for use, listen to this, by the emperor who was called the Son of Heaven, while the four-footed dragon was used by the princes and the nobles. And similarly, during the Ming and the Qing dynasty, the five-clawed dragon was strictly reserved for use by the emperor only. The dragon in the Jing dynasty appeared on the very first national Chinese flag. So with that with that in mind, we're laying the case here, having laid the case that the dragon will, uh, it, it, it is represented by China. It is her symbol. And, and we're talking about Satan, the old dragon, expressing himself through a territory. We're laying the thesis that the old Roman Empire appears to be allowed to rise, but its power is kept in check until this dragon decides that he's going to give that power to it. It is why the world worships the dragon. It is why old Europe worships the dragon. Because the dragon is going to allow it to do what it's always wanted to do. And that has become and realized its global state. Now listen. China, I believe we've, we can lay the case, <laughs> is the inhabited peoples of the dragon. And it it goes without note. It's not without note, brothers, that he's called that old serpent, that old dragon. And China is the oldest civilization on the face of the earth, the most mysterious. I walked in China. I spent a whole week there. I walked on the Great Wall of China. I was down in Beijing. I went over to uh, Shanghai. We were in, in several other places of China. We walked the streets. It's incredible, and 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 I must tell you, uh, I believe the Lord allowed me to do that, uh, so so that I could begin to understand some things. Everywhere you look, uh, I walked in the Forbidden City. Everywhere you look, the, the, they still have even in communist China, which claims to be atheistic, they still have. Uh, they'll tear down churches and crosses, but they have dragon heads everywhere. Dragons are everywhere. It is the land of the dragon and the most mysterious of all lands. It is not without note that it has risen in our time. And it is the most powerful nation on the face of the earth right now, rivaling the United States. Let's consider what we see. If you, uh, Brother Marty, if you look at China and the kind of technology they are tapping into, um, you have to wonder where this kind of uh, technological mindset that they're getting is coming from because it is what's spearheading this global agenda. 
and infusing right. it and, and, and speeding it up uh, to where we are today. So one has to wonder, you know, uh, again, <laughs> technology is good, but we, we also know that uh, the enemy is, is, is very, very good at, at technology as well. Right. That's you right. go back to the days of you go back to the days of Nimrod um, and, and the technological advancement that they had in those days um, mm. to bring about this one world order, this this one language, this one mindset. Um, so one has to wonder where are they getting this technology from? Well, you know, I know that we can trace China all the way to the days of the Tower of Babel. Uh, that's where they, uh, um, when when the rebellion happened there, and and the languages were confused, uh, a group of people from there settled in what we know as China. So China can be linked all the way up to the days of Nimrod, the Tower of right. Babel. That's right. And historically right. speaking, you know what's interesting to me now that we've taken it to this point is that China itself. Uh, went into hiding. It was the most mysterious of lands. You know, those old Marco Polo stories, you know, and the traders that went over there and discovered this most mysterious and well-developed land. They they developed uh, gunpowder and, and, and missiles and fireworks and, and the world's oldest calculators. And I mean, it's a, it's an incredible place, but it was, it was really, if you want to think about it, remember we're talking about, the dragon going forth, and then suddenly the the rise of the super state, and then the dragon becoming what it becomes, expressing itself through a people, and and it has to have such power that 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 Europe itself uh, has to be given that power almost by permission. It has to be empowered by the dragon. Um, remember, it wasn't until Richard Nixon in the seventies uh, went to China and met with Mao Zedong who had already overthrown the government and had instituted the communist revolution. When they walked around in Bruce Lee suits and, and, and walked everywhere and rode bicycles, remember? That ain't the China, <laughs> the China we're talking about now in a matter of, of, of just, what, you know, 60, 70 years is a global super state now. It has its tentacles in every single place across the world. As a matter of fact, if you go back and listen to a couple of the of the messages I preached years and years ago from particular platforms, and I don't need to send you guys there, but my brothers I'm talking to, you'll remember when I came back from China, I warned the people, and I told them. I, and, and then I just got back from China. I said, you know, our our greatest enemy is coming from there. In 50 years, they went from walking on dirt roads and, and riding bicycles to to <laughs> to an incredible super state in a matter of a generation. This is satanic. This is the dragon. When Nixon went in the 70s, we didn't know anything about them. They were the most mysterious of all people. But in that short time, they have gone from the open door to where they finally brought them into the United Nations. If you know your history, they have now become the chief power player. The beast has been looking for a reason to get rid of the woman. China's that reason. China's that one that empowers them. And like you said, Brother uh, Fernando, very powerfully uh, pointing out this technology. 
Brother Jeremy, read to us verse 2 again. Yes. It says, uh, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet was at his, uh, as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his seat, his great authority. So do you see old Roman Empire, old Europe, the geographical territory where the super state and agenda will emerge, cannot take full shape unless the dragon gives it power, seat, and authority, right? Mm-hmm. And if the dragon is China, and I believe it is, then it begins to make sense what we're seeing happening today. Brother Fernando, are we able to stop this program and start a part two? Um, Yeah, we can. Let's do that right here. We've been going for an hour and a half. I wanted to give the people an opportunity to, uh, you know, you know, to, to, to listen today. And if they want to keep going, they can, but we're going to end it. This will be the end of part one. When we pick it up on part two, which we're getting ready to record right now, we'll release both parts. I just want to have them in two parts. Uh, when we get to part two, we'll pick it up from here and, and what China does. And, and I want to talk to it. I want to talk now. Part two won't be as long, but I want to talk to you now about, uh, about the power, the seat, and the great authority and why it, it gives it to, to the old Roman Empire, which is now the new Roman Empire, and how the two are going to come together. America hangs over the edge. America is being contested for right now. And the most dangerous time we have ever seen is upon us, and it has already begun. This will be the end of part one. We pick it up in part two with the rise of the dragon.